Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. We just have uh, a few announcements for you all this morning. First of all, that was uh, some crazy weather last night. And if, you, if your basement came out dry, consider yourself very fortunate. But uh, I know we have a few families in our, in our uh, church family that took on some water in their basement. And um, so if you're interested in helping out in some way to uh, you know, carry some furniture, I think we've got a couple that need some help with that. Or if you've got a dehumidifier or an or a extra fan or something that you don't need, um, talk to Ryan Carter afterwards or one of the other deacons, and we're going to try to maybe get a little bit of help for some of those that need it. But, um, you know, it's, it's a crazy thing when, you, when you've got weather like that, and I'm sure we're missing some this morning that are uh, cleaning up after the mess. Uh, the other thing to remember is that uh, this Wednesday is July 4th, and uh, so we're excited to have a chance to get together here. Uh, the grills start at 5, and uh, later in the evening, uh, there's going to be a chance to just sit out here and watch the fireworks. So come when you can. If you have plans for supper, but you're still planning on uh, watching fireworks, come come later. Invite friends or neighbors. This is a great spot to, uh, to see the fireworks, the Urbandale fireworks. So um, we're excited about that. Let's just uh, pray before we sing our final song. Father, we think about uh, those who are dealing with cleanup this morning, um, maybe feeling discouraged. Father, we just pray that you would help them. And uh, Lord, I even think of there was a man who lost his life last night um, in the floods and here in Des Moines. And I pray for his family, uh, that you would encourage them and strengthen them. Um, Lord, may you be their rock of support. Lord, we just commit our morning to you. May you just quiet our hearts before you. May you uh, open up our eyes to your word, um, to the encouragement and the challenge that we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just open our time in the word with a, with a prayer. Father, we do give you thanks for giving us your son. Thank you that there is a redeemer that you've made him known to us, that we can be in your presence this morning because you have redeemed us to God, that we can have a place to belong, a home, that we can be satisfied, that we can be free, that we can be secure because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And I thank you this morning that you brought us together to consider your word and uh, what it would say to us at a time like today, different ones going through different things, and I just pray for your blessing as we open your word, pray that your spirit would lead as we speak about it and as we listen to it, and that we would hear what you have to say to our church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning. I was uh, going to make some jokes about the weather, but then after last night I didn't think that would be very funny. <laughs> um, so I trust that everybody's situated well this morning. We are in week two of our series on the Psalms, how to praise God when life is uncertain and life is unpleasant. That's kind of the overarching theme of the series. And this morning, we're going to jump from Psalm 2 to Psalm 107. There's no like rhyme or reason about the order of how we're, we're going over these Psalms, but we are uh, 
I'm going to jump to Psalm 107, which tells us how our problems can lead to praise. Okay? And so there's a question that's often asked by atheists or agnostics or antagonists against God, and they say, well, how is it possible that God can be good and God can also be all-powerful? And yet, when I look around me in this world, I see a lot of junk going on. How is it possible that that's the way that God is and that's the truth about God? There either must not be a God or else he's not what the Bible says he is. Well, I think Psalm 107 uh, kind of answers that question with some details and some stories. Uh, when I was in college, I kind of stepped outside my comfort zone and I took a creative writing class. And I learned that there's a lot more to poems than, you know, meter and rhyme. My professor would, we had to read our poems in class, and she was brutal. She'd tell people, that's terrible. <laughs> and then they would drop the class. But I learned a number of different structures from poems, even in the English language. And I don't know all the structures of poetry in Hebrew, but this poem kind of follows a, an interesting pattern. There's an introduction that tells us about God's goodness and about our response to God's goodness. And then there's a closing that tells about how God uses his power and makes that goodness known to us in ways that may not seem real good to us. And then there's just a, a closing exhortation that says, the wise people need to pay attention to this. The wise people need to pay attention and consider what? The steadfast love of the Lord. And so this psalm is all about the steadfast love of the Lord and how, because of that, things that are not pleasant in our lives lead us to praise God as we allow God to take us through these circumstances. But in between there, there's four different portraits of people who are what is called in this psalm the redeemed of the Lord. And it talks about what they went through, how they turned to the Lord, how the Lord delivered them, and how they praised the Lord. And that's a pattern we're going to look at. So there's a, of these four different portraits, there's a pursuit that they had. These people were pursuing something. They wanted something with and from their life. And God, uh, through his sovereignty, he brought a problem in their path. And the problem might have been kind of the natural consequence of what they were doing, or it might have been something that God just directly put into their path. But either way, the four people in this psalm had a prayer. They all had the same prayer that they prayed. And so when they prayed the prayer, God gave them a, prov a provision. And in the, the context of this psalm, we can think of it as a redemption. And then the natural consequence of that was praise. But we need to be reminded of that sometimes, don't we? That when God gives us a provision, we need to praise him. So it starts out, uh, let's just, well, I, I want to go back there because when our problems lead to prayer, God's provision leads to praise, okay? So when our problems lead to prayer, God's provision leads to praise. So let's just read the first three verses together. Before we go on, it says, uh, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. 
and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. You know, this word good there says in the very first verse, uh, it doesn't just mean he's righteous and he does the right thing at the right time. It means he's benevolent, that he has kind thoughts and, and, and good intentions for us. And so that premise of that question, how can God be a good God? This psalm says he is a good God. Let's establish that from the beginning. And then he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So I'm here this morning as a redeemed of the Lord. And I can tell you that from my own experience, God is good. Circumstances aren't always good. But God is good. And I can also tell you that I needed to be redeemed. See, I was raised in a, a Christian home. I had God-fearing mother and father who spent time in the Word, time in prayer, wanted to pass that legacy on to me, taught me tremendous things, both teaching from the Scriptures and by their example in life. They lived a godly walk. I was very blessed. And by no virtue of my own, I never really had a desire to outright rebel against what I was taught. And I received the gospel at a young age and became a Christian. But, you know, I, I, I thought I was pretty good, <laughs> you know, because I followed the rules. I didn't get in trouble at school. I didn't get in that much trouble at home. Um, my sister probably thinks I should have gotten more trouble at home. But there's... And when I did sin, you know, I, there was this justification in my mind that really that wasn't that bad. You know, it, it didn't, doesn't really remove me from this position of being able to look down my nose at others. And I had, I had this feeling where I wouldn't, never would have said it that way, but that was ingrained in my heart and in my thinking. And as I got older and I read the Word of God more, and I, I realized, you know, how rebellious that kind of thinking is against my God to think that I'm pretty good. To think that I can look around at the people around me and find the fault with them. That's a rebellion against God. You know, Proverbs 6 talks about six things that are just detestable to God. And it starts out with a haughty look in the King James. A proud, a proud thought, uh, looking down on others like, I'm better. And I realized, you know, as people look at each other, as we look at each other, there's certain things, sins that we say, oh, that's really bad. You know, we should shun that person. Uh, this is okay. You know, I mean, it's okay to, to pursue wealth and to pursue your own interests. It's okay to be proud of yourself and think you're pretty good and to judge others. Well, that's not how God looks at it. And so the fact that I might have I had a standard that I could measure myself against I learned over the years in reading God's Word that it's, it's true, and I can, I can sing now, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I am a wretch. I've come to, come to grow in my understanding of what a wretch I am. And through that, God has taught me some things about humility and, and the way I look at others and compassion that I, I didn't have as a young person. I was self-centered. I was self-righteous, self-satisfied, and a wretch. A wretch. But God has redeemed me. Not only did he save me from an eternity in hell when I, 
when I called on Jesus for salvation, but he allowed circumstances in my life. He allowed me to, to be aware of things that I was thinking in my heart that just shocked me that I could be so wicked as all that. I thought that was other people, but it wasn't. It was me. And so the Lord has been drawing me closer and closer to himself. So I'm a redeemed of the Lord. The reason I tell you that is I'm a redeemed of the Lord, and I'm here to say this morning that that's true and that God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. It's amazing, amazing grace that he loved me through all that. Truly is amazing. So um, it goes on and says that uh, he redeemed them from trouble. He gathered them in from lands from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. And so God, you know, th this actually literally took place in the history of Israel. They, they were brought out of Egypt to the south. They were delivered from the Philistines to the east or to the west. They were delivered from uh, Babylon from the east and Syria from the north. And God brought them. They went to those places because they turned away from God for the most part. But God redeemed them. He brought them back when they called on him. And, it, you know, if we read the story of the book of uh, Judges, you get amazed at, wow, God took them back again and again and again. And they turned away again and again and again. Well, God redeemed us. He saved us from the, the penalty of our sins, but he's also saved us from the power of our sins. And this uh, didn't, didn't project real well, but 1 Peter 1, verse 18, I want to read that to you because this kind of, well, and I'm going to read it as it is on the screen because it, that's the New Living Translation. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, but it says, um, for you know that God has paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold and silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So what we learn from 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, is that God didn't just redeem us to take us out of hell, but he redeemed us from our lifestyle that we lived that we inherited from Adam and Eve, a lifestyle that wants to go our own way, do our own thing, and God redeemed us from that. And so in the context of that verse, Peter is saying, you should, you should be living your life with respect to God and the way he wants you to live your life because you've been redeemed for that very purpose and your price of redemption. See, redeeming, maybe we should step back. Redemption is when somebody pays a price on behalf of someone else to deliver them, to bring them into freedom, bring them out of bondage. And so that's what God has done for us. But it was at a very, very heavy price. You know, when somebody gets kidnapped for a ransom, there's a, a price set according to how much the person can pay usually and how much they think they can get out of them. You give us this money, you'll get your child back, or this person can come back, or you meet these conditions. Well, we were in bondage to sin. God paid the price, the ransom price, for us to deliver us from that bondage. And so we're going to see these uh, four examples as we go on. And each of these uh, examples 
There's somebody that's lost, wandering around in the wilderness. There's someone that's in prison, in bondage and chains. There's someone who is afflicted in sickness, can't eat, doesn't want to eat. And then there's uh, sailors at sea doing business, all of whom get into a problem. They are, they're out pursuing something, and they're pursuing it apart from God. And so they get into problems. And then they have this prayer to God, and each one of them has the same prayer we'll see as we go through it. There's this parallelism in this poetry that, that they pray the same prayer, and God gives them a provision to deliver them, to redeem them. And then they turn around and they praise God, and they praise the same, with the same praise. So those, those verses recur in multiple instances. So let's look in verse 4 starts the, the section on the first person who is, is lost in wandering. It says, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. So this person, or these people, it says some were in this condition. They were wandering. They're looking for something, though. It says they, they, uh, they couldn't find a city to live in. They looked for a place to belong. But they didn't look to God to bring them to a place to belong. They didn't look to their creator for a place to belong. They looked to their own ways. And, you know, some, some of you would probably say, well, they, they must have been a bunch of, bunch of men because they didn't stop and ask for directions. Well, probably true. We were in the store the other day, and I was looking for something, and Debbie said, well, why don't you ask somebody? I said, well, I could think I could find it. And so I did, though, eventually, but I wasted some time. Well, these people weren't getting there. They weren't going to get there, and they didn't get there because they didn't ask God. And so that was their pursuit, a place to belong. And then their uh, problem, they became hungry and faint, and their uh, soul fainted within them. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Just like that. They cried, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. It doesn't say there was a lecture. It doesn't say, well, you need to do this much penance. It doesn't say, well, if you keep crying to me long enough, I'll listen. No. God's grace comes out here in his love, his steadfast love. It says he delivered them from their distress. But what did he do? It says he led them in a straight way they reached a city to dwell in. So it's not like they were immediately teleported to this city to dwell in, but God put them right on the path that was straight, that was going to this place. And what did he do? It says in verse 9, he satisfies the longing soul. Isn't that what they were looking for in the first place? They're looking for a place to belong, a place to be satisfied, uh, a place they could call home, but they couldn't find it. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Do you think of that? 
Do you think of God in that way as a God that wants to satisfy you? He does. So they were, they were seeking satisfaction their own way. God had a different way for their satisfaction. So they finally learned to call on the Lord, and he began to lead them in that way and to bring them satisfaction of soul. Um, so I have to apologize to you guys because this, this table we're going to fill out reflects my way of thinking, um, and I have a weird way of thinking. So, um, but this is helpful to me. If it's not helpful for you, just close your eyes. But what I saw in the pattern of these four people that were redeemed is they all, as we already mentioned, they had a pursuit, a problem, a prayer, and a provision. And so, as we mentioned, these lost people, they were looking for a place to belong. We see that in verse 4. They were, the problem they were experiencing was they had a fainting soul. And there's other things that went along with that, but we see that in verse 5. And then there's this prayer, and it goes across all of these people. It's a pretty simple prayer. They cried to the Lord. It doesn't say what they said. They cried to the Lord. And God is not looking for you to say just the right prayer when you come to him. And when you want to follow his way to what you need, he's just looking for you to cry to him. And this morning, if you don't know him as your Savior, that's the first step, is to cry to the Lord. Just like the thief on the cross next to Jesus, he said a very simple prayer. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into paradise. Romans 10.9 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, Lord, remember me. And believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. That thief said, when you come into paradise, he knew Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. And then Romans 10.9 goes on and says, if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, confess him as Lord, you shall be saved. It's that simple. That's the way to be saved. And so, a very simple cry. It's, it's not a, a formula prayer. There's a, a lot that goes into our Christian life that we learn from the Word of God and to our salvation. But crying to the Lord brings His deliverance. And then, these particular people that were looking for a place to belong, in verse 9, we find out they received satisfaction from God. And so then there's this praise. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works. To the children of God. Sometimes we don't pay attention to this fact that God is loving us in a steadfast way, that he, he continues to forgive, that he continues to lead, that he continues to take our circumstances and pull us. He's not pulling us into misery. He's pulling us into his presence. He wants us with him in the way that he brings, and he wants us to bring us things, wants to bring us things like satisfaction. So his love is steadfast. And his ways, his works to the children of men are wondrous. And I hope this morning that all of us are in a place or come to a place where we recognize that and where we do truly praise and give thanks to the Lord who redeems us and brings us to places like satisfaction and a city to dwell in. So let's, let's uh, move on to the next person or the next group of people, um, and these I've called the prisoners. It says, some, in verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. 
for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. So these individuals are, are in bondage. And they're, the first group just really didn't ask for direction, right? And they just struck it out on their own. Well, these people are deliberately rebelling against the Lord. It says, uh, verse 11, they had rebelled against the word of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. These weren't just ignorant people. These were people who were consciously making the decision that I'm not going to listen to God. And where did they end up? They ended up in prison, in bondage. And, and you know, there, there are um, so many forms of bondage, and we'll, we'll look at that here in a second, that uh, people are in today because of rebellion against the Lord. And that's not what the Lord wants to lead us into. That's not why he gives us his commandments. He doesn't give us our commandments so that we will be in bondage. He gives us our commandments, his commandments, so that we'll be free. What's he do? He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts the bars of iron. So these, these people that are prisoners, they had a pursuit as well. They wanted independence. And I remember uh, when I was fairly young, I, I made some comment about the 4th of July and how God wants us to have independence. And, and my brother said, well, not, not really. I don't think that's in the Bible. I'm like, well, sure. No, he wants us to have freedom. So I'm jumping down to the provision. God wants us to have freedom, not in independence. He wants us to be dependent on us, on him. Because he is here through his steadfast love to give us every provision we need for life. So their independence and rebellion against God led them into prison and irons. And then they did the same thing. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. And that, that's just a, a great thing to see in somebody who is feeling bondage of sin, that they cry to the Lord because he delivers them and he breaks their bonds and so he gives them, in verses 14 and 16, there's a reference there to how he shatters the doors that kept them in, cuts the bars of iron, and leads them into freedom. So then again, these people praise the Lord for his steadfast works um, to the children of man. And as I thought about these people in bondage, you know, I, I came across... Well, uh, Pastor Steve had given me uh, a paper on different forms of different spiritual strongholds that some person had kind of identified through the scriptures and through, through their practical experience with people that were in bondage. And so I just want to put these up on the screen for us just to think about a little bit because God gives us his word and he gives us truth. And if we live in deception and lying and turn away from the truth, that's bondage. And that gives Satan a stronghold. Many of these things, if not all of them, 
are in the scriptures directly tied to Satan himself. Um, submission. He wants us not independent of him, but dependent on him and submitting to his word, looking to his word <clears throat> for direction, <clears throat> unlike that first group of people, and obeying his word when we know it, unlike this second group of people. But if we rebel against God's word as we know it, we give Satan a stronghold in our life. Forgiveness and love, that's what he's called us to. And how often do we go with anger and bitterness, unforgiveness in our hearts? It gives Satan a stronghold in our heart. And it brings us to these bonds um, and prison. Purity, God calls us to purity. But the world offers and, and promotes and shows as something to, to be uh, a way of having freedom of expression. Uh, sexual immorality, pornography, those are all bonds of Satan that the world and Satan puts in front of us to say, look, you don't need to be bound by God's commandments, by what God says, how God says to treat these things. No, God's looking to bring us into freedom. Worship and praise, God calls us. Just in this psalm, we're, we're going to read it over and over again, that God calls us to worship and praise. Well, in the absence of that, how often do people turn to um, stimulant addiction, alcohol, drugs, things that will, will create this euphoria in them that they're missing because they are not praising their God? Um, blessing and prosperity. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, and, and he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, but how often do we turn that around and we, we're proud and we're greedy and we want more and we start to hoard things or we, we get really uptight about the, how much money is in our account. That's not what God called us to. And then finally, the lordship of Jesus, submission to Jesus, looking to Jesus for our instruction. And, you know, maybe spiritism and the occult are not in front of us as much as some of these other things, but people turn to uh, demons. They turn to Satan's agents to find out about their future. What's going to happen to me? What should I do right now in this situation? And rather than, than going to Jesus and seeking his guidance and to his word and seeking his guidance, they go to spirits. All of these things on the right-hand column there are bondage. But God calls us to freedom. And so uh, these that were in rebellion and sought independence, God leads them to freedom when they call on him. So let's move on then to the next one. And these in verse um, 17, there's a group of people that are afflicted and or sick. It says, some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. 
So these are people that are sick. And they're not just, it's not just any sickness. It's not like they got necessarily um, a cold or pneumonia or, you know, a broken bone. But it's a sickness that came about because, it says, because of their iniquities. And there are sicknesses like that. The New Testament talks about them too. There's sicknesses that lead to death. And maybe we can't always identify those. But sometimes there are things that our body is directly impacted by our choice to disobey the Word of God. We can abuse our bodies with eating too much, and we have health complications from that. We can abuse our bodies with alcohol or other substances, and we have our body fails and breaks down because of that. Sexual immorality can lead to a host of diseases in our bodies. These people suffered affliction because of their iniquities, but they called to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. The grace of God is just over and over again. The love, the steadfast love of God over and over again is put in our faces here. They cried to the Lord, and he delivered them from their distress. Um, John MacArthur, he he preached a, a sermon on this chapter, he said, and he, and he read through the chapter at the beginning, and there was a man there that had come to visit who was very active in the pride movement, and he was very, it, it was in L.A., I believe, and, and he was pushing events, he organized events, he organized the community, and he found out that he was dying. He had a few months to live. He was diagnosed with AIDS, and, and he asked one of his friends in that community, he said, I need to find some place where I can go find help because I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. And somebody said, well, you need to go to Grace Community Church. They can help you with that. This was his friend in this community. So he went there, and uh, John MacArthur got to uh, verse 6 early in the chapter, and the man said to himself, this is what I needed to hear. And he got very frustrated because the service went on and on and on. And he, was, he said, sit down, shut up. I need to talk to somebody. How do I get this deliverance of, from the Lord? And he went up afterwards and he got delivered. And he died a few months later, but he got deliverance from the Lord. The Lord isn't going to look at you and me and say, you know what, you're, you're <laughs> of all humanity that I came to save, you're the one that I can't. You know, you've done the one sin that, that I didn't see coming, that I didn't place on Jesus. That's not the case. God redeems those that call on him. So these afflicted ones, then, in the end it says, they tell of his deeds, of the Lord's deeds in songs of joy. So uh, we see what, they, what were they pursuing? They were pursuing sinful ways. What was the problem that resulted from that? That it was sickness. They cried to the Lord, and he delivered them from their distress. And the provision that God gave them was joy. Let's move on to the next, the next group. Start in verse 23 um, with a group that I'm, I'm calling the battered. It says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, 
which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. There it is again. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and let them praise him in the assembly of the elders. So these people were in pursuit of a safe haven, we find out at the end of it. He gave them their desired haven, but as I was thinking about this, you know, and, and what kind of people this would refer to today, and I, I zeroed in on that first verse, says, doing business on the great waters. You know, we tend, I tend, to seek security through business. And sometimes our occupation, which is a way for us to work with our hands so that we might have to give to others, becomes our, our identity. Sometimes it becomes our source of security. Um, it can consume our lives, and it can become so much more than what it should be. And so these people were doing business in the great seas, and, and a storm came up. And it's, this just made me think, as I was thinking of it in that light, of um, I pulled some financial charts. So again, this, bear with me, guys. <laughs> um, just a few. There's, there's so many financial indicators that we could pull on here, but there they are. So there's cost of living, there's inflation, there's unemployment, there's the stock market, there's house prices, and you lay out five years of it, and what do you have? You've got a big stormy sea, right? <laughs> and I didn't even choose blue and green for the colors. That's just, that's just what the charts uh, showed up there. And so I thought, well, Yes, yes, I've, I've been there, done that, doing that, you know, and it becomes a fearful place to be because you're dependent on this sea that seems rather unstable. So, this storm, and literally what this is talking about, obviously, is men that go to sea, but they were going about to do business, to trade, and so the, the prices the weather, all these things, we could, we could take the whole farming industry and put it up here with weather and, and crop production too, and, eat, and I'm sure you would see similar waves crashing around us and making us uh, fearful in the storm. So, they cried to the Lord, and he delivered them from their distress. And what did he give them? He gave them a safe haven. That's what they were looking for, it says, he brought them to their desired haven. A haven is a place away from the storm where you can dock, you can be secure, you can be safe. God wants to give us that too. And so I, wanna, I want you to look at this chart now that we've filled it out and look at the things that we pursue as people apart from God. A place to belong, independence, sinful ways, a safe haven. Have you ever pursued all of those or any of those? I'm going to say, yes, you probably have. I have all of them. What does God want to give us? 
Look down on that fourth line. His provision is satisfaction, freedom, joy, a safe haven. What's God want to redeem us to? Does anybody object to anything on that line? Would you rather be unsatisfied or um, be in bonds, or would you rather be sorrowful um, or in misery? Would you rather be insecure? <laughs> God wants to give you all of these things, and it's his steadfast love that brings about this uncertainty, these, these terrible circumstances to draw us to all of these things. And it's a matter of crying to the Lord and allowing him to lead, bringing you on his path of lordship into the way of getting what our hearts desire. See, we're made in the image of God. We have desires in our heart for things that are so similar to what God wants to give us. But they're just different enough that they lead us into things like affliction, bonds, uh, fear, storms, and sickness. That's not God's way for us. And so we go into the last section of this chapter. In verse 33, it says, and so this is where, you know, at the beginning I said, people will ask this question, if God is good, and the, the beginning, the first verse laid down that premise, God is good. He's benevolent. He's kind to us. He wants to do good things for us. Then they say if he's good and if he's all-powerful, then why are things the way they are in my life or someone else's life? Well, here we'll see God's power at work. It says in verse 20, 33, he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. Good things turn bad by God. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they're diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in the trackless waste. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. See, God takes, he uses his all-powerful way, his all-powerful ability, and sometimes he takes things that seem good. You know, maybe we liked the way things were two years ago. Maybe everything was okay until this happened. You know, I was on track to meet my goals. I was getting where I wanted to go. I had the security I wanted to have. But it's gone now. Why did God let this happen? Why did he let it happen? Because he's a steadfastly loving God. He doesn't want you out there independent and away from him. He wants you in his presence. And he wants to give you the things that your soul desires in a way that honor him. And that will give you not just a temporary satisfaction, not just a temporary place to belong, not just a you know, a membership card that really means nothing, 
but a place to belong in his community. God will allow difficulties in our life, and he does. But what's he want us to do? He wants us to cry out to him because he wants to deliver us, and he wants to bring us into the very thing that our soul desires. He is a good God. His steadfast love endures forever. Do you believe that? Can you trust that? I don't know what you're going through. You know, I'm sure that something in these four categories, maybe something in all of them, has answered to something that's going on right now in your life. I can say it's true for me. But, you know, God doesn't change those circumstances necessarily. There's that song that says, sometimes he calms the storm, sometimes he calms his child. You know, and sometimes what we need is satisfaction in eternal things so that when the stock market crashes or our, our home value goes down or our cost of living goes up more than our paycheck goes up, that we need to know that that's not what our life consists of. Our life consists of the joy and the belonging, the comfort and strength, that, the freedom that God wants to give us. And so we can still be in some of those same circumstances. That young man that came to John MacArthur's church, his life was changed for three or four months, and then he died as a natural consequence of his disease. But he left a testimony of God's faithfulness and God's steadfast love, and he had true joy in that last few months of his life. And so God doesn't, doesn't say here, we're not preaching here what's sometimes called prosperity gospel, that, you know, call on the Lord and you'll get everything you want. No, God has something better than what we think we want. Because the things that we think we want come from a desire placed in our heart. God has put eternity in our hearts. God has made us in his image, and we have desires for the good things that he wants to give us. And he has a way through Jesus to give us those things. But when we're walking independently in rebellion or just completely ignorant of his way and not even wanting to ask him, he can't bring us into the enjoyment of that in this present life. So the psalmist says in verse 43, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And this morning I would just say to myself, to each one of you, be wise. Consider these things. Maybe there's someone here that, that you've never received Jesus as your Savior. That's the first step. He's redeemed us with his precious blood. God paid a heavy, heavy price to bring us into all this blessing. And he's just waiting to pour it out. It was just an instantaneous response in this psalm. They cried to the Lord. He delivered them from their distress. He wants to do that for you today. If you don't know him as your Savior, you can just say a prayer as simple as the man on the cross. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Confess him as Lord. Believe that God has raised him from the dead, that he bore your sins in his body on the cross. And, you know, just like Israel, they were brought up out of Egypt, redeemed out of Egypt on Passover, but they went back in to bondage somewhere else. They repented. They called on the Lord. He brought them back into the land again. You know, sometimes our life does not reflect the standing that we have before God, but we still 
and go back to the Lord, call on the Lord in our distress, and he'll bring us out. We're going to take the bread and the juice now. And this is a reminder to us of that price of redemption. We're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Christ took our sins in his body on the cross, and that bread is a reminder of the body of Christ on the cross. He redeemed us with his precious blood. The cup that we're going to take is a reminder of his blood, the blood of his redemption for us. So this morning, and the band can come up, but this morning if, you, uh, if you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus, come up or, or go to the table in the back and remember the price of your redemption. Remember, if you don't know him as your Savior, there's no better time than the present. And by the present, I don't mean today, I mean right now. In your seat, you can make that prayer to God. Lord, remember me. Lord, save me from my sins. And he will, right in your chair. And then you can participate this in the Lord's Supper here at the table with us as one who's been redeemed and who is showing forth. Paul says, as often as we take this bread and take this cup, we show forth the Lord's death until he comes. This is one way that the redeemed of the Lord can say so. And so we invite you to do that this morning. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for redeeming us with your precious blood. Thank you for the bread and the juice that reminds us of the cost of that redemption that you've paid for us. I just pray for each one of us in this room that we would, would seek you in the difficulties we face, that you can lead us out and lead us through and give us peace and joy, a place to belong, freedom, the things that our hearts long for. We just uh, give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.